everybody thinks, oh, we'll develop new technology and then everything will be uh, fine. And I think that's just not the case. To, to be able to do that, I think we have to fundamentally think different about work, about life, about economy and about everything. Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators. Brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Welcome to Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the personal journeys of innovators. In this episode, we are talking to Jakob Asman, who has been contributing to sustainable entrepreneurship in Munich throughout his career. Jakob has a background in business administration, and in 2010, he was awarded a doctoral degree at LMU. Straight after that, Jakob founded two companies, Green Gas Concepts and Polarstein Energy. Both of these companies were pioneers in the development of sustainable energy and heating solutions. And by now, Polarstein just celebrated their 10-year anniversary and with it 145,000 tons of CO2 saved. Three years ago, Jakob became a managing director at Impact Hub Munich, an incubator that supports sustainable entrepreneurship and innovation by providing a space for collaboration and ideation. In this space, communities work together for the common good and tackle problems locally. We start off this episode by talking about Jakob's early career in academia and how doing a PhD gave him the time to reflect and figure out what he really wanted in life. We then continue with his experience as a founder of a sustainable startup and how he thinks about measuring impact. I really like this approach there. In our second block, we hear how Jakob thinks about the future and discuss his rather critical point of view. Lastly, as always, we learn about his favorite book, app, podcast, routine and innovator in our toolbox. Jakob impressed us with his strong beliefs and passion for sustainable entrepreneurship, a topic that I believe many people are just discovering now and he has been pioneering it for yeah, basically the last 10 years. But now, without further ado, let's listen into our episode with Jakob Asman. So, Jakob, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start right into the first question. You actually started out in academia and pursued a doctor's degree in business administration. What motivated you to do so? And did you have a particular research question that you wanted to answer? Yes, what motivated me was that after finishing my diploma back then in business administration, I wanted to dig deep into something. I wanted to deep dive and what was always interested in academia. So when I had the opportunity to join the Lehrstuhl of or the chair of um, Professor Picot back then, mm -hmm. it was like a, a huge opportunity because he did exactly what I wanted to do. And I wanted to work on the intersection between IT, business and psychology, mm -hmm. like more on the organizational behavior kind of stuff. And what back then, which actually is a quite actual topic, an uh, important topic at the moment is I did my PhD on trust and communication and virtual teams. So everybody's working virtual now, but back then it wasn't that much. So how can high performance teams, it's all about, about high performance team in the business context. So mm -hmm. how can you achieve high performance within in a virtual context? That was, and how do you build, especially how do you build trust? Because trust is always the glue that keeps things together and makes you work harder and excel yourself. So yeah, how do you build trust when you are not in a room together? So, um, Looking at that topic about trust that isn't really related yet to sustainability and how did that change come along? How, when did you say, okay, 
I, I do want to work on sustainability. I wasn't sure like what to do, but I, I think academia, I, I realized, wasn't my uh, cup of tea. It was just too, I don't know, too old-fashioned and the community I was working on was not the right one for me. And I was always interested in, in, in startups and building stuff. I had my own startup with my brother and my two brothers and like a catering service during my studies. And I We met like for, for, for fun and, and in the afternoon student did business plans and all that. So it was always like something that's, that was obvious. And my, my brother Tobias, who was at CDTM who, who, and who already founded his company you know, like together with another Centerling, with, with Sultan, they founded Landwärme back in, I don't know, we're talking about 2000 eight or seven maybe and we were living together and i always see like what he's doing he, he always, was also in the energy market and it's like okay i always wanted to do that and so let's switch uh, playing field and then during my time my research time i had a lot of time to think you read a lot and i really wanted to be you know sure what what i want to do in my life and not try something out and you hear these stories you know for example like these investment goldman sachs kind of guys you know or girls um who do investment banking and suddenly realize after 10 years investment banking oh maybe there's no purpose in investment banking and now i have to do something else and have a bratwurstbude or something because there's no purpose <laughs> in my life and it's like, like, like you could have known that before you started investment banking that it's pretty empty so for me it was always clear that like like I see that, you know, I don't have to go through discovering that there's no purpose in life if you don't find your own purpose. So, yeah, I did soul searching, a lot of soul searching, and found that I need something with a purpose I can identify with. And it was and pretty obvious that it was the energy market <laughs> back then. Yeah, and th that, that soul searching was during your PhD, actually, and kind of in parallel. During my PhD, yeah, lying on the icebach or next to the icebach, <laughs> you know, after some reading of papers. And there's lots of research actually on it and uh, about happiness research and positive psychology and all that. And, and so how do you find something that really makes you happy or what is the construct of happiness? And so, yeah, I found, this, I found that like having a purpose, like working towards something that is greater to, um, than yourself is something I wanted to do, like to, to contribute to that. That is really fulfilling. If you look at people you know that are really happy in their lives, you know, for me, to work in a sustainability field is also about you know, finding your true happiness in life or like as f or fulfillment you know and as a, as a young boy i worked a lot in the church context and i, I, I and i met some fathers you know like brutal like from a fraternity how do you call this monk the mm -hmm. monk and i was always amazed like some of them how how happy they were and how 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 uh, they were so quiet and so so much but instilled so much energy and they rested within themselves because they knew what they were doing they had this huge purpose and they and so but uh, i'm like like i didn't identify that much with the church so it's just like okay <laughs> i want to have that what they're having but not in the church so for me it was like the energy market or the it's not the energy market but the energy transition really you know it was mm. back then now it's very clear but back then um, we're talking about 2009 it was everybody knew it but not too little people were doing it we need to change our any system and that's uh, what i want to contribute to can, can you take us through that process back in 2009 laying at the iceberg why why the energy market i mean there are so many other options right what was the reason to go for that <sighs> well actually there's not there's many options but but back then it's like okay i wanted to contribute to the biggest challenge that we have and there's mm -hmm. not there were a few challenges that were bigger than the energy transition Mm -hmm. And also I had, you see, like, there were, there were some, there were some in, in, in agriculture and some in, in the food industry, I think. But 
then you, you have to look at where do you get a foot into the market where's your network and my brother was also already in the in the energy industry i did an internship with eon and it's like i, I knew stuff i knew people in the energy uh industry and i knew what was going wrong on and i knew what was going wrong so i saw an opening there that was pretty easy and i said okay let's see energy market energy transition crossed with internet or digitalization, crossed with sustainability in that intersection, I want to do something. Super interesting. And also this PhD gave you the time, right? To think of things like this. But I'm just wondering, I mean, of course it came from you and also probably from this event that sort of triggered it back in the days. But would you recommend everyone doing a PhD or to whom would you actually recommend it? Because for you, it gave you time and maybe also this purpose um, seeking that you cannot do if you directly start into work or I don't know. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you have to be passionate about deep diving and really get into one topic and to become really good at one thing and know everything about one thing. And then that is not for everybody, you know, and also like the PhD, like I worked at the, at, at the chair, I did a lot of teaching and you have to like teaching. If you don't like teaching, then, then don't also do difficult. it. I, I, I can only talk about the business context. I don't know how it is in engineering or informatics or something. And that's probably a totally different, but in business, I mean, deep dive into one thing and then the teaching. So if you like that, go for it. I think it's super, I, I had a wonderful time. I met so many good people, interesting people and yeah. Super cool. A, a PhD at CTM also I think is something I would recommend. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, like a couple of my friends did that and I mean there's lots of teaching there, lots of work. Mm. I mean and I I'm, I'm saying that I had time to think is there's lots of work goes into doing your PhD. I mean it's just because it's a project, it's like a startup, it really prepares you for for a startup because you will be the only one who knows about it because you will become an expert pretty soon. And it's the same as a startup, you you focus on one thing right and become really good at it and you have to be advanced because you have to do it's also in research you you have to do something that nobody has done before like for example me my, my research you know I, i did this trust research and i pushed it to the limits and i, I did it in an online gaming i used teams within online games to see how they work because they've never met and they have to solve together complex strategic tasks and i mm -hmm. did that in like over like i think 10,000 people in germany and i did that in i think in 12 countries or something in Arabia and in Iran. I did lots of the work there. I did stuff that has not been done before. And that's like the same as, as a startup, right? And you have to be mm -hmm. the master of that. You have to, to be able to control that complexity. And so I think it really prepared me for my startup life. That's so interesting because usually people, I think, view it a bit contradictory, like academia and startup. And you actually did both and now just like showed the parallels. Super nice. Yeah, I think it can be. It, it depends what you like, how you look at academia. For me, it was like mm. pushing the boundaries somewhere, and that's that's what you do in a startup. And then, be like, take ownership, and then just do it. And you have to be really productive uh, as a researcher. You know, you have to produce these papers and all that. And only you know, a finished thesis is a good thesis. So <laughs> and you have the market <laughs> testing. You have to have. It's. You, you cannot publish something that you think is fine. There have to be reviewers who are like, there's, there's a market out there. And if you're doing a topic that there's no market, then it's very tough to publish. And there's lots of, of if, if you do research and uh, think about academia in my way, but still it was too slow. All right, so the PhD was too slow for you. And then you actually did decide to found and you founded two companies straight away, uh, Green Gas Concept and uh, Polarstein Energy. So, Actually, these are both companies in the sustainability area, and you already mentioned this is something you found you were really passionate about. And now 
10 years later, looking back, back at what you kind of thought going into this and now that you develop these both companies in the space, what do you think of the sustainability space and in the sustainability entrepreneurship in general? Well, it's developing nicely. It's it, like it grew out of a niche into a bigger niche, I guess. It's still a niche, unfortunately, but people are really talking about it. So back then, like, you know, like the whole social entrepreneurship scene was really small and was like sustainability wasn't so much a topic. It was more about social and more about, you know, social in a traditional way, meaning like like if you work with, with handicapped people like or disadvantaged juveniles, or these kind of things, like this were people doing, but not so much the climate, entrepreneurship, renewable energy, and there was way before Tesla and all that. So it changed a lot. And as there, there's danger in that. People are saying they're doing sustainable entrepreneurship and then what the stretch to call it what they're doing mm. right yeah so there's a danger but still it needs to grow i mean it needs to become mainstream and and uh, always if something goes mainstream then there's like on the edges there's people who do shady stuff so i think it's a good development that i uh, like that you do conferences as everybody talks about it and it gets integrated into syllabi and the university and i think it's really great does it bother you that it kind of got mainstream and you were one of the first pioneers starting out and now it became just one startup of many maybe the point is like uh, i want i mean if you look at the, at, at the energy market the real pioneers were back in the 90s you know the really traditional mm -hmm. green people now who are candling people you know the these and they were not friendly to us they were not happy that we as a startup came into this market because they have done it for back then almost 20 years already and 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 said they were the two like i'm greener than green and we are not we are just doing something else because of the fame or something and it's like I, I promised myself never become like that you know so so i don't know aggressive against the new or so reluctant to accept new players and all that you have to really embrace it because the task is big and th there's so much to do and yes they will do it differently and and i think some are not as green as they or as sustainable as they could be but still they're pushing the market and so for us or for me it's really cool i think that Lots of people jump on the Maganol, the impact investors in season is growing and all that. Yeah, we're now already like talking about this topic, entrepreneurship versus corporates, right? And it would be interesting to hear why you, for example, chose entrepreneurship to tackle this problem of climate change, but especially in energy, right? Because it, it would also be an option to go to a corporate and maybe even have bigger impact if this, this was really like this purpose driven, if this was really what drove you back then. Yeah, uh, it was the... This is it's a good point, but I think it's just to get to the point where you as a even as a PhD student have real impact in a mm -hmm. corporate world. I mean, you have to work like I think 20 years or something. I don't know how much or if you're faster 10 years to have really impact and get to a position where you can change things. Mm -hmm. And I remember that there was a talk at, at TUM back then where Crossman, the, the, the former CEO of, of RWE, said like, yeah, we really want to become this back then. I mean, back then they said they want to become sustainable. And if you want to do really some sustainable, come to us and make coal-fired plant more sustainable. <laughs> and that was the thinking. And, it's like for first, and, and, and some students sat there and said, yeah, it's, it's a point. But for me, it was like, no way it's like seriously no way the, the pace i would have to go how slow you will be going how how little you can really change in these organizations is just not for me and mm -hmm. i think why the corporate i mean like there's a real transition going on and we have 
to be like some people have to be the forefront you know they, they have to pioneer things and that's going to be the start or are the startups and i wanted to push it and, and push the boundaries and, and tell the corporates and then they can follow i mean I don't mind, like, the Stadtwerke and all that, everybody's jumping on the green energy now and saying, oh, they've done it forever. It doesn't really matter if it's true. For me, it's just they're going where we wanted them to go. And because our impact as a startup is not so much, in, or, or the aim was never to become the biggest energy company or something. It's, it was never our game uh, as Polarstein. We always say, like, we wanted to be like a light, the, like Polarstein, that's why, that's, that's why the name, you know, a fixed star in the energy market where Perry people can look up to and orient themselves this is the way the future should be going to you know mm -hmm. and so and this this is the role i think of entrepreneurship always is, is like to be really fast and brave and bold and show other players where you should go and i wanted to have that role picking up on this collage then is this one star that other corporates could actually even look up to what would you say is a collage then doing or what is so exceptional about it that other corporates, the bigger corporates can kind of look up to and say, okay, wow, this, this hasn't been done before. Maybe we should try that as well. It changed over the years because that's what, uh, when we started, it was all about the heating market because in the, when you look, uh, talk about energy transition and renewable energies, usually people think about, you know, solar power and wind and all, the, all this, you know, look, talking about electricity. But if you look at your individual energy consumption, one third is electricity and two thirds is heating. Mm -hmm. And your heating in your probably in your apartments is not done by electricity. It's done by natural gas or or mm -hmm. oil. If you live in an old house, it's like okay. And if you really become and if you really want to do an energy transition, you have to f do something in the heating market. And that's where we got in with the green gas concept. It's like how do you make a re really sustainable, renewable heating product out of industrial waste for biogas and all that and that is what people hopped on to and, and began discovered the heating heating market so this was the beginning back in 2011 2012 and then we changed a lot and then we very very early with the in the electricity market in these projects that we call the Mieterstromprojekte you know where you have this big apartment buildings where you put solar rooftops and all that or solar panels on the roof and the roof and the CHPH what's it in English heating combustion units in the basement and you you sell the electricity to people who rent in the in, in the building so usually mm -hmm. you can only get the electricity from the roof if you own the house but if you rent somewhere and something then it's very difficult to get the electricity from your rooftop so it's it's legally complex it's technically complex is kaufmannish so business-wise it's complex but we are building these systems now where we, we can like make a whole apartment buildings and like autark you know run more mostly on integration of batteries we can run mostly on renewable energies and then now we're starting with the integration of the e-mobility how that it should be done and we have doing some research projects where we use the electricity we cannot use with the households we transform it into hydrogen and these are really like projects that will shape the energy market in the future and we are trying to show um, how it's done Super cool. Actually, one follow-up question on that one, because I feel like so many sustainable startups and sustainable companies are like, they, they get some criticism, right? Because sustainability is like such a difficult topic and you really always have to look like at the whole thing to understand if it's a positive impact. And I was wondering if Polarstern was at some point like criticized in this regards. And if yes, how did you answer to that? Yeah, of course we were, we were criticized yeah? by... 
people who don't like renewable energy. I mean, there's a lot of people <laughs> who don't like renewable energy. Is there? I think, uh, yes. I mean, you think that windmills are like the evil and that mm. hydropower is the destroying ecosystems and nuclear is the only solution. I mean, uh, energy is such an emotional topic that everybody thinks it's like Corona now, but back then it was energy. It's like everybody has an opinion as, uh, as an expert in energy and production, mm. what is right and what is wrong. And m most people don't have an idea. So that was, yeah, it's, it's, it's really annoying at, at, at mm -hmm. times. But for being, we, we weren't really criticized for not being sustainable because we were doing this really forefront projects. We were doing like in developing countries, we were building small micro biogas digesters for farmers to see how the energy transition could function in rural Cambodia. It was back then. And we did, I think, work really n nicely or modernly or uh, on a team level as well, I think it's not so much what you're doing. If you want to be a really sustainable company, it's yes, it is important what you do, but it's important also how you're doing it. You know, mm -hmm. it's mm. the especially you know in this in the, in the climate business and you know, the means don't justify the ends. You know, just to say because you you produce renewable energy doesn't mean you're a good company. It's very much you know it's like how you t how you you pay your your employees, how's your diversity within your workforce? Do you you really look at, 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 at hydropower in a sustainable way, like uh, what is the impact on the ecosystem and all that. So it's very complex to become and very difficult, I think, to become a truly sustainable company. Yeah, for sure. Are you measuring that in any way? Uh, yeah, back then, I mean, we, we used something like the Gemeinwohlökonomie, the economy mm -hmm. for the common goods. We did it with a very holistic approach, which we did for a couple of years. and. I mean, we try to quantify everything, of course, into like the CO2 rem uh, reduction we uh, we, mm. we we supported and the lives we changed in Cambodia and also it's like we do lots of reporting uh, mm. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, I was just wondering because if you say how we do it, this is such a difficult topic, and I think most companies still didn't really figure out how to properly measure. I don't know d diversity in the workforce. That's maybe easier if you look at nationality or something, but like really these like soft topics i guess are quite hard to it's, it's hard but i think for, for most of the thing is just common sense for me i mean it's just just be a ni don't be an asshole mm. that is usually <laughs> yeah just be a nice guy and don't put business first for example you know, we had we had an opening for a really important uh, position in our company and there was th this lots of applicants and one was female late 20s early 30s so there's a high risk she will become pregnant so as a startup, and this is a really important position, do you give her the job? I mean, this is just you're a startup. You you cannot if she goes into maternity leave, and then and you have to open it again. You do, you taught her everything, and then she's gone again. I mean, this is difficult. This is like the real problems you have to deal with, mm. and, and then you have to say no. It's like you don't want to live in a in a society where these kinds of calls are made that you don't get a job because there's a, you don't get because there's mm -hmm. the risk that you become pregnant. I mean, people don't talk about these kind of things, but this is like, if no, you're a small a company, you know, question, yeah. it's, it's really for difficult sure. yeah. because yeah. you're a small team, right? And you, if you work for Siemens or something and then, okay, then they, she's just gone for half a year or a year and she comes back. But so just use your common sense, like be a nice guy uh, or a girl. Yeah. And, and then that's half the way. I, I love that statement. Mm. Is that kind of approach to, to deciding be a nice guy, is that helpful in the entrepreneurial context? Does that get you far? Nice doesn't mean stupid, you know? 
it just means not an asshole you know it's like nice means like like be respectful be you know mindful of others you know don't take everything for yourself be cooperative be trustful if, if i don't work like that it doesn't make sense for me you know it's like mm. could i be more successful be an asshole i don't know i don't i don't think yeah, that's so. maybe yeah. nothing you want to desire as well like this doesn't yeah. give you the fulfillment right if you are successful on because yeah, for this Yeah, because if you're in it for the money, I think it's a different game. But then you can quantify, like, in a startup ga game, you know, you have this number, you know, the number of series of money you've raised, and then there's the exit point, and then you see how much you get. And you maximize towards that goal. And then it's really, it doesn't really matter how you do it. It's just get the maximum at the end. And if you're in it for a sustainable and you don't really want to sell your company, you want to, you know, fulfill your purpose, then you have to look at it differently. But maybe that's one problem because for sustainability, that's such an exchangeable word. I think, as you already said, so many companies just put it on their uh, website and say, we are a sustainable company. And it's not that clearly measurable, right? With a funding round, you can say, okay, we raised that much money. And before you mentioned a few KPIs that you might set up, I don't know, CO2 or how many people this affects and so on. But sustainability kind of means for everyone something different, I think. And it's the same with impact, I think. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach this? Is f Do you have a fixed definition for sustainability and for impact? Or does it change over time as well? Or is it this fuzzy word and it's okay that it's that fuzzy? For me, that's why I left academia because there nothing was allowed to be fuzzy. Everything has to be exact and there's a <laughs> definition for everything. Now I'm in startup, I can see, ah, I find your own definition. But for me, like now, joke aside, no. The impact part maybe is, is a little bit easier because for me, impact is, is for me, it's always, so, is it socially relevant? Is it relevant for our society? Does it improve our society? Then mm -hmm. it's impactful. Then it has an impact for me. Makes mm. a lot of sense. Actually, like the people in at CDGM and also at uh, Climate Club, especially, were also super excited when we said like Jakob is joining us for for a call on the podcast. And one of the questions that we got was regarding sustainable solutions to mitigate climate change. What are your thoughts when it comes to putting money and effort into scaling existing solutions or developing new solutions? So, what is most challenging in your opinion as well? I think both is very challenging, and mm -hmm. it depends on what kind of person you are. And are you this kind of deep tech kind of guy or are you a scaling guy? For me, for example, like I'm, I'm really not so good at scaling these kind of um, solutions and being like a process guy and blowing things up. I'm good at like starting things. And I think mm -hmm. if you want to contribute in this, in this game, then you have to know your strengths and see what you're good at. I think mm -hmm. both has to be done. You know, that it needs to be some fundamental deep tech stuff and there needs to be scaling stuff. And I, I, I hardly know people who are good at both. Yeah. So, and you can build them a startup in both, in both worlds, you know, it's like find something that already exists and scale it or bring it to a mass market or something. That is a good startup idea. And also deep tech development is a good idea. It just really depends on, on, on yourself and then your purpose, you know? And I, for me, it's always like the new is so exciting. If something is too old, then I lose interest. All right, cool. Thank you so much for these answers already. So then we would move on to the next block. So the next block is actually more about a sustainable future that you could imagine. And we are curious how that looks like. So three years ago, you joined uh, the Impact Hub Munich. And this is actually one of hundreds of innovation hubs around the world. And 
this the vision there is kind of to help founders to create a grandchildren friendly future. So we are curious to hear if you are optimistic or worried on behalf of your children's and grandchildren's future and what fo hopes for the future do you have? Mm. I'm like both, like at the same time scared and optimistic. Maybe the one I'm scared about is like the, the whole climate uh, topic and, and what we're doing to our planet and if we can really turn it around. That is what really worries me, you know. Yeah, I'm trying and everybody should be trying, but I'm really not that optimistic that we could, the world will be the same for my children or my, my grandchildren and, and be as nice or as livable or live life worthy as it is now or has been for the last years. I'm talking about glaciers and all that kind of stuff, they probably will not experience the beauty of glaciers in the way that we have. But at the same thing, I'm very optimistic about how people are how the relationship between people are and, and that inequalities will be reduced and I think we are really getting better of that. But the world will just not be as nice, I think, as it is today. You must also have some optimistic visions regarding sustainability because some things, yes, we, we have the climate crisis, but so many new solutions are also developing around this topic, right? And do you think there are any opportunities as well that we kind of learn something and build a sustainable future together that maybe looks different but not worse or maybe even better yeah it's like if i'm really true true to myself i don't think so i think we have peaked and it doesn't mean it will get super bad or something right it just won't get better and that is not unfair it's like if i give lectures and i talk to students and i always ask them you know think about your grandmother like what did she think will, will her life become better or worse and then think about yourself and what your children will think will they be, become their lives better or worse and usually people uh, say that they fear for the future at the moment and i think they're That's this right, and technology can only mitigate stuff. And if we keep living the the lives we are living, it just won't be nice. I think it won't be as nice as as it is today. <laughs> I'm not optimistic. All right, okay. I'm I'm kind of bummed out to hear this because I'm I'm currently I'm cur I'm currently reading this book. I think in English it's like everything could be different. And he kind of says, okay, yes, climate change is happening, but we have to think of a future that is good no matter if it's depending on climate change or not. So he's basically saying, for example, a green city with no cars, that's a nice future, even if there wouldn't be a climate change, we, like a city without cars and everything is green, that is still a nicer city, right? So kind of yeah. thinking along these lines and saying that with optimism, like you can get this vision and kind of unite people way more than being pessimistic and only trying to save the status quo and saying, Right now it's super nice and what happens now will basically get worse. So I'm curious to if you are saying what you're doing is basically trying to prevent this bad outcome and you don't have actually this vision saying, okay, it can also be nicer then. How do you get people to work together on the same vision there and kind of, yeah, that they don't get demotivated? I mean, yeah, what I'm saying, like, if we don't do this, it will get really, really bad. So, so yes, I think for me, for the older generations, it will not be as nice. But the next generation growing up, they will see things differently and then experience it in, in a better way. But I don't think they will have the, the opportunities we have, you know. Mm. and we screwed it you know but still I think how, how, how to motivate myself like I think there's still a chance I mean giving up is not an option 
I mean, what is the op alternative? Just laying low and saying like, ah, that's it, you know, YOLO and let's burn everything to the ground. This, this is not an option, you know. I think we have to do something. We have to try and we have to work harder. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little to make the point. Because everybody thinks, oh, we'll develop new technology and then everything will be uh, fine, you know. Then we'll live in a green world and everybody will be happy. And I think that's just not the case. To, to be able to do that, I think we have to fundamentally think different about work, about life, about economy, and about everything. Like, that has such a big change. Like, for example, that we don't work that much. You know, work is our, li our, our value of our humans. It's not, uh, it's not measured in how much we work, you know. It's just more like uh, maybe we only work 20 hours because that's the resources we have. Everybody has to decrease what he's consuming and everything, you know. And this is, I think, if we, we can do that, you know, it's post-growth economy. Then maybe, maybe there's a chance that this will happen. But my, I'm not so optimistic that people will do that. And, mm -hmm. I, and I love technology and I love and I love using I think that it will solve, but it, it will just soothe it and not solve it. But what would a sustainable future look like if you imagined it? Like, how could it be? I think people have to change. Societies have to change mm -hmm. in the way they, they think about life. And that bigger isn't better, that more isn't always better. And, and more growth is most of the time not very positive. And especially in the startup world, it's always about hyper growth. And hyper growth usually is toxic. It's not something you want because it's mm -hmm. unnatural. You need organic growth and then see so a, a system can stabilize. And it has to be more balanced, you know. Mm -hmm. And this balancing, I think human, humankind or humanity has never been good at balancing. Mm. And that's why I'm not optimistic. But still, I'm trying, and still I have three kids. Uh, like you could imagine, like, like with this kind of outcomes, like why are you having kids? <laughs> <laughs> the world will still be livable, but mm. it's not in a way that just think. Let's try to conserve the way we live now by just using technology. It's not going to work. Yeah, but so. then at the, at the same time, you could kind of argue that also like capitalism and basically what brought us here also increased the livelihood of many, right? And then also this like thinking, for example, about gender equality is only enabled because we actually have the money to think about this stuff and like have this like baseline. So don't you think so? But I don't know. It's like, yeah, if, if you value money like that, you know, if, if, if mm. it says, but it's, Our, our society, might be a very privileged bunch, okay? You know, like the CGM startup bubble is very white privileged, mm. okay? But if you look at talking about problems, I mean, let's see, for example, Munich, right? We think everyone moments of such a rich city, but we have in Munich, we have 200, I think 70,000 people living below, below poverty line. And people just, you know, don't talk about that. And mm. it's not so just at the moment, you know? Mm. Yeah. So actually, the, the idea of your hub is to tackle such social <laughs> problems locally, right? Good turnaround. Coming back to them. Exactly, because we have to tackle these kind of problems. Like, like how can we deal with that? How can we help like underprivileged groups into entrepreneurship, for example? That's something we did. We did a program at the Impact Hub, for example, to help mothers to become entrepreneurs. Major risk to fall under the poverty line in Germany is to be a single mother. That's the biggest risk. If you're a single mother, then the, the, the probability that you become poor is very high. So how can be entrepreneurship a tool for these kind of women to get out of this cycle? And in climate change, of course, it's also like if we cannot do it, if Munich cannot do it, man, if we are such a rich city you know, at the same time, like 
if we cannot do it, like how do, we, do I expect a poorer city to do it and to do this transition? So there are so many opportunities here that we have to harness, but we have to put it in the right direction. Huh? I love that you always have this role model idea in mind, kind of showing, see it can work somehow, and then saying first we have to find a local solution and others will jump on the train. I think it's a cool mentality. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, role models are important. I mean, people need like they need to. Not everybody is an entrepreneur, and, and not everybody wants to be bold and brave. And the majority wants to follow. And that's oh, that's totally okay. You don't have mm. to be a first mover, but there needs to be uh, first movers. You know, mm. there needs mm. to be entrepreneurs. There needs people like you. You know, who do just do stuff. Yeah. So, Jakob, we are, we are, we also heard that you are a lecturer and uh, a mentor as well. So, is there anything else you would like to give our young ambitious listeners on their way become an entrepreneur <laughs> <laughs> no, ser no seriously think about like what really matters in, in, in life and what is what is because entrepreneurship is really tough you know it's tough times and it's not an easy job you know and but it's really fulfilling to do something that you really believe in and that contributes to something that's bigger than yourself and i think i can just emphasize or cannot emphasize enough that people should try that and if it's not for you then At least you've tried, no? Mm. And and then to ask yourself, like, why are you founding this company who is, I don't know, an app for something that is not improving society? Look at your life, look at society and how many problems you have. And you are so privileged, you know, I always think like, like Spider-Man, you know, with great power grades comes great responsibility. And this is Spider-Man. And we are so privileged. We are in, in, in the TU, LMU, CDTM context, right? It's like, who, if not us, who should solve that? Who should solve the problems? And uh, who am I to say, nah, I just want to get rich. Screw you. No, And I agree. But, but still, do you think entrepreneurship then is for everyone? Like the right way to do so? No, but then you can work for a sustainable uh, startup. Just become mm. a follower, become the first follower. Mm -hmm. You know, I could have never uh, like grow and polished into the company it is without the super ambitious employees, especially first ones. They were so much into polish and they just didn't want to found themselves a company. But they were super good at jumping on a wagon and, and building a company. And you, you need a team, right? But I mean, otherwise, I'm just a guy there and I cannot do anything alone. You know, mm. maybe lecture or something. But to found a company, you need a team and. Mm. If, if these talented people go into consulting or uh, investment banking, or it's like it's a, such a waste. I had this talk with a friend of mine who is actually really into um, sustainability. He like co-founded a student initiative that has grown to like 500 people for sustainable entrepreneurship. So like exactly your topic. But he's at McKinsey right now. And the reason he is, is because he thinks that first he takes this like two, three years, learns a lot, has this like stamp on his CV and is in a position to maybe have a bigger impact than to just like found right away. Yeah, I think that's theory and not practice because they're so good at what they do they 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 you know they poise your mind with money they throw so much money at you that you will not give this up easily it's like in theory you could work there for two three years but then ah oh, if i get another if i become principal then i earn that much and then i can still found my company and i become younger and then they become older and then you have then after your first kid and then ah now i can't found my company anymore i saw it like in my friends who went to these companies you know 
they got stuck and so little people really found their company after this uh, the two or three years it's just it's just theory and then the 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 learning curve i think is much steeper um if you found your own company maybe fail with your first start, uh, startup and then try another one i mean seriously who needs the powerpoint skills to that level that you learn there and who needs these excel skills they have nothing to do with startup life you don't consult on i don't know startups there you consult on tusen krupp I mean, oh, who the fuck? What the fuck do you need that for if you want to uh, become a sustainable entrepreneur? And but but this is, this is I mean, th when I was a student, it was the same talk with friends and and especially if you go into social entrepreneurship and, and, and where there's no money or not real money involved to say, ah, don't do this. F have a f one company, you know, earn your first million and then you do something social. And it's like, no, why should I? Why should I do that? Why not? Like, if I know what I want to do, then I do that. You mm. know. And yeah. maybe it's just an excuse. People have these excuses, you know. There are a lot of these mamama, you know, these müsste man mal machen, you know. <laughs> this is, they always say, oh, I want to found a company, but they don't really think it's sexy or something. But and, and, and then they sh they're happy with, with, with the work for a consultancy. And that's, I don't want to, I don't want to blame them, blame shame them. No, it's just, if they want to work there, they're happy. But don't, don't use it as, as an excuse or as a learning excuse that you will become a better social entrepreneur because you've worked for a consultancy. It's just not true. I mean, no, at least I, I don't know any cases. I love how, how clear you're also about it because I mean this is just an opinion right but like you you're very clear about it and I think very often people are just like talking around it and like not saying these clear words and sometimes you just need to hear it I guess. Yeah, I'm old now, you know. <laughs> I just, I, I just turned, turned 40, you know, point. and a midlife crisis and three kids and it's like, ah. No, but, nice. but uh, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about my choices because that's always a question I ask me, should I have done something different? And I'm happy how, how, it, how it went. I can mm. be really confident saying like, of course I made mistakes in my life, but the, the, the general theme was okay, was in the right direction. And I think it contributed to something, and I have a positive impact, and that is, I think, it makes me makes me happy. And so I, I can look at my kids and say, it's like I tried, you know. If the world is going down, and then they they will live in this kind of world, it's like then they look at me and say, like, I sorry guys, I tried, okay? It wasn't my fault. <laughs> awesome last words to close yeah. this one, and uh, then Jakob, let's move on to our last block, which is the toolbox. Any book you think everybody should read? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of business books that everybody knows of, so I picked something else. I picked a book called Solidarity, The Future of a Big Idea by Heinz Bude. And I think solidarity is something that is really important. Because there's, there's equality, you know, there's equality in front of the law. You know, there's freedom of thought and speech. And there should be solidarity or fraternity in the business. And we're really good about inequality in front of the law and freedom of our thoughts. But mm -hmm. we are not good at solidarity in, in, in the economy. And that is that has to something that has to improve. And that book gives you some good thoughts about what is solidarity. I will definitely put it on my reading list. And so any app everybody should download. Bring. It's a shopping list. It just simplifies your life if you're married or in a big E or something. Yes, a digital shopping list is the best thing that happened to me. Uh, a podcast you love listening to. Housework for Esther, Esther Perel, I think she's called. She's a, uh, she's a couple therapist and she, uh, from this kind of mindset, she looks at work. And especially the first or second one is about uh, founders who want to separate. 
and this is really really good it's like looking from a couple therapy kind of standpoint on how you're working and you learn a lot nice is there any routine you follow uh, yes sports in the morning start your day with sports this is something i can always recommend if i look at my life like where i've done this it went well i was happy if i didn't do it it usually was because i didn't do sports in the morning and this if you can you know if you can kick the schweinehund then <laughs> get up at morning at five o'clock and go running all right and an inno innovator everyone should know one of my role models even Juina, you know the the founder of patagonia ah mm. yeah yeah yes really cool guy he wrote a really good book if you want another book let my people go surfing that is another reading recommendation and he's like How he how people should give enough in Patagonia as a brand, you know that enough is enough and repair before you buy new and all that. Mm. It's a really good philosophy. Super cool. So our next guest is actually Hanna Milanov, who is a researcher at TUM in international entrepreneurship, and we just thought maybe you, you just want to throw in some random question and we're gonna ask it to her. I would ask the ob obvious ones like why are you researching entrepreneurship and not become an entrepreneur? <laughs> so, and he's like, if you talk about entrepreneurship, research entrepreneurship all the time, don't you feel itched? You know, like I have to do something myself and not just talk about it, but you know, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And really p poke her a little, like why she's not doing it. Super, super <laughs> cool. Thank you very much for being here. All right, Tim. So, what do you think about Jakob? Yeah, I think what was super interesting with Jakob is that he kind of told told his story from his PhD and how he was lying there at the Eisbach and it kind of sounded like he actually figured his life out back back then at the Eisbach and like <laughs> he still stands fully behind what he kind of kind of came up with at that point. Yeah. And I I think that was interesting to hear that yeah, like you can kind of think about okay, what do I want to achieve? maybe in life and then he followed this path ever since and seems to be uh, really happy about it so i think that mm. that was cool so it didn't it didn't sound that that winded to me like many of our other guests maybe yeah, sounded true true um, actually this yeah. is really interesting because the others as you said for many it was like kind of a process right so they started off with something and then while doing this it kind of developed and maybe went into impact but maybe not And for him, like, he really sat down and figured it out and then, like, still seems quite satisfied. Actually, yeah, I think he actually does sound very convinced of his path. So there was also something I noticed that he kind of from his perspective, yeah, he like he didn't have too much understanding for any other paths maybe that other people chose. So mm. I'm, I'm, yeah, I just think that's, like, interesting to hear that kind of, Yeah. yeah, his perspective from his point of view on kind of what other people do. Yeah, fair enough. I still think this was pretty cool about him, that he was like very clear in his statements and very like, obviously, it's good to think about like, does this count for everyone? But at the same time, I think it's pretty cool that he doesn't like think too much about what other people would say and just states what he thinks. And I, I feel like he was okay with being challenged. You know, it was it was kind of fun discussing it a bit. That's true. That's true for <laughs> sure. 
Okay, yeah, so with that being said, thank you, Jakob, for coming to our episode. I hope we uh, that you liked it as well. Also, you, our listeners, if you have any feedback to us, always feel free to reach out to podcast at cdcm.de. And as already mentioned, we have a next exciting guest, Hanna Milanov, also from academia, actually. She did decide to stick to it, is still a professor at TUM. So some quite exciting insights there. Stay tuned and uh, see you back in two weeks. <laughs>